Hello everyone, I wish you a very warm welcome to our podcast. I'm Rika and this is a podcast of Promote Ukraine. In the new year, we are back with a brand new format for you. This series is called Ukraine Up to Date. And from now on, we bring out this podcast regularly, where we put together the most interesting, relevant, important, uh, you name it, topics and events about Ukraine and talk a little bit about it. So in case you want to stay on top of things that are happening in and around Ukraine, don't worry, we keep you up to date. In the future, we will also have some guests in this podcast who are, for instance, experts in certain fields and can give us some amazing insights. So make sure to keep an eye on this podcast. But uh, let's start with this week's hot topics, shall we? The European Court of Human Rights delivered the first judgment in the case Ukraine versus Russia regarding the occupation of Crimea, declaring Kiev's allegations of human rights violations on the occupied peninsula admissible. Thus, the court proceeded to consider the case on the merits. Um, the Minister of Justice of Ukraine, Denis Maluska, announced on his Facebook page. The court will further consider the allegations of Russia's improper investigations into the killings, the practice of unlawful deprivation of liberty and ill-treatment, harassment of non-Russian language media outlets and restrictions on education in languages other than Russian, intimidation and persecution of religious leaders, imposition of Russian citizenship, restrictions on the free movement of Crimean people to mainland Ukraine, etc., etc. So the list is uh, quite long. At the same time, the judges rejected as unfounded Ukraine's claim alleging that Russia established administrative practice of murder or execution in Crimea after the peninsula had been occupied. It is also reported that the European Court of Human Rights found that Russia's de facto control over the occupied Crimean peninsula began no later than the 27th of February 2014. In addition, the European Court of Human Rights declared illegal any judgments delivered into the Court of Crimea. The Court of Human Rights agreed with Ukraine's allegations of the existence of an administrative practice of extending Russian legislation to cover Crimea and uh, stated that as of the 27th of February 2014, courts operating in Crimea cannot be considered to have been legally formed. Maluska wrote that the judgment of the European Court of Human Rights is a powerful legal blow to the mythology used by Russia in the hybrid war. Crimea is a story of armed aggression and flagrant human rights violations and not a referendum or a peaceful expression of will. At the same time, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, Dmitry Koleba, stated at a briefing in Kyiv that the European Court of Human Rights' judgment is an important step towards holding the Russian Federation liable for the aggression against Ukraine. The minister stated that Ukraine is taking legal action against Russia not only in the European Court of Human Rights, but also in the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea and the International Court of Justice. Kuleba stressed, all of them will confirm step by step that the truth that Ukraine has been telling the world since 2014, when the Russian aggression began, and will refute all the propaganda spread by Russia. Uh, just as a reminder, on the 13th of March 2014, the government of Ukraine filed at the European Court of Human Rights 
the first interstate application against the Russian Federation regarding the events that took place on the territory of Crimea. And the government of Ukraine asserts that Russia has been exercising control over the Autonomous Republic of Crimea, um, which is an integral part of Ukraine, of course, uh, since the 27th of February 2014. And uh, yeah, these are so far very good news and a step in a good direction. And we will see how this unfolds. And of course, if there are any new developments, we at Promote Ukraine are going to keep you informed about that. Ukraine vainly fears the termination of the US sanctions policy on Russia. So the Ukrainian and Russian media outlets reacted sharply to the news that a new U.S. administration is likely to lift sanctions that now block the completion of construction, licensing and commissioning of Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. And uh, Ukrainian news agencies reacted, of course, with sadness and the Russian ones reacted with hope. The far-reaching conclusions were drawn from a commentary by Nicholas Burns, Joe Biden's foreign policy advisor during his presidential campaign, to the um, Handelsblatt German business paper. He admitted that he had recommended that the next U.S. president suspend U.S. sanctions against Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, provided that the completion of the 94% prepared project would would also be suspended. Um, I quote, the Europeans must cease the construction and the Americans must suspend the sanctions. This would give the new US administration the opportunity to confidentially and calmly speak with the German government and other countries involved in the project. So it is not about Biden's position, but still about Bern's position. And whether the 46th president will listen to him is a completely different question. Um, The U.S. sanctions against Nord Stream 2 are set out in the second consecutive U.S. defense budget. Uh, In the 2021 version, the sanctions apply not only to companies engaged engaged in construction, but also to companies providing insurance and certification services, as well as those that can upgrade or provide uh, welding equipment to ships involved in construction. The defense budget is approved by a majority of both uh, Congress chambers and the White House uh, has ability to change something is very limited, although the document contains a note that the president can lift sanctions against individuals if the interests of national security require so. In 2016, Biden, as back then the vice president in the Obama administration, said that Nord Stream 2 was a bad deal for Europe since no country should use energy as a weapon. In addition, Russia's actions during Donald Trump's presidency have not changed. They became even more daring. So uh, let us run back over at least the massive cyber attack on US government agencies, recently mentioned by Secretary of State Michael Pompeo and Attorney General William Barr, or a series of attacks on political opponents of the Russian regime in Europe. Putin has in no way deserved such encouragement from the United States as the lifting of sensitive sanctions. On the other hand, Biden is interested in restoring the mutual trust with European allies, which the Americans lost under the Trump administration. 
He fully shares uh, Barack Obama's approach, who considered a common Western front against the Kremlin's efforts to ignore and deliberately violate international norms as the most effective policy for national and global security. This implies a transition from isolationism and uh, conflict-coercive relations with partners to a respectful coordination of common positions. In fact, a return to close cooperation with Europe and allies in other regions, which existed during Obama's presidency. So Nicholas Burns' proposal to his boss clearly fit into this framework. That is, uh, the new US administration will expand its diplomatic arsenal being a sign of strengthening and not weakening this arsenal. Biden and his entourage will have to spend a lot of time in Europe listening to and convincing their colleagues, but this is of course their usual job. But now the question is, will this affect the interests of Ukraine? Both Biden and the closest circle of experts he appointed to senior positions have repeatedly proved that they perfectly understand Ukraine's role in the European security system and in resisting Russia's aggressive attempts. Anthony Blinken, a nominee for the position of Secretary of State, insisted in, this, in his public statements of increasing pressure on Russia to make it stop aggression against Ukraine. By the way, he was an active supporter of providing the Ukrainian army with lethal weapons. William Burns, a diplomat who is likely to head the CIA, said in one of his texts that relations between the United States and Russia are doomed to be competitive and hostile, and that the United States must pursue a tough policy of sanctions pressure, strengthen Europe's confidence in NATO, and focus on Ukraine, as its fate is crucial to the future of Europe and Russia. However, we should understand that it is impossible to count on the fact that Ukraine's interests, including the future of Nord Stream 2, will be taken into account by the new US administration automatically, as those arising from the previous experience and views of people who will determine the US policy in the coming years. So, um, yeah, Ukraine's voice must be heard, its position must be clear and balanced, and this requires the systematic works of the political leadership and Ukrainian diplomacy. A grand update of the international chessboard is both a challenge and a new opportunity to take advantage of. The NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said, uh, that the North Atlantic Alliance has seen increased military buildup by Russia from the high north all the way to the Baltic region, Black Sea, Middle East and North Africa. NATO is concerned about Russia's expanded military presence in the Black Sea region and in the occupied Crimea. Um, so yeah, the statement reads on the question about increased Russian presence in Libya and in Africa in general, of course, this is something we follow and monitor very closely at NATO. It's part of a pattern of increased Russian presence not only in Libya, but in other parts of Africa and in the Middle East, in Syria and in the Black Sea region in Crimea, and also in the Baltic region and in the High North. At the same time, Stoltenberg expressed confidence that US President-elect Joe Biden, who is committed to transatlantic cooperation, will strengthen cooperation between North America and Europe. 
Earlier, the NATO Secretary-General said that the alliance will continue to step up its military presence in the Black Sea region in response to the increase in Russia's military contingent in the occupied Crimea. Since uh, 2014, Russia has been conducting regular military exercise on the peninsula and in the Black Sea. The G7 ambassadors in Ukraine, led by the United Kingdom, will continue to support Ukraine in implementing reforms aimed at economic development. The UK presidency of the G7 ambassadors support group in Ukraine posted on its Twitter account that they will continue to engage with the Ukrainian authorities, experts and civil society to support Ukraine in delivering reforms which boost economic development for the benefit of all Ukrainians. They also stressed that major efforts will be focused on improving the investment climate, promoting equitable development, eliminating corruption and strengthening the rule of law and transparency. The G7 ambassadors promised to announce a full list of priorities for 2021 later this month. And just as a reminder, the United Kingdom is chairing the G7 ambassadors Ukraine support group this year. In 2020, so in the last year, the US embassy led the group. At the end of the year, the diplomats the diplomats met w- with Prime Minister of Ukraine, Denis Shmihal, to discuss the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic and the importance of ma- maintaining the path of reforms in Ukraine. A meeting of political advisors to the leaders of the Normandy format countries took place in Germany. The Ukrainian delegation was, was led by the head of the president's office, Andriy Yermak. The consultation lasted more than six hours, the press service of the president's office reported following the meeting. The statements reads, The parties touched upon all issues on the agenda, from security to humanitarian ones. The discussion was complicated but constructive. All parties noted the importance of adhering to the ceasefire in Donbass. During the meeting, the Ukrainian side focused on security issues and the need to strengthen the security component of the agreements. Yermak did not disclose details of the talks, noting that the dialogue continues and the discussion goes on. A break has been announced in the talks, though. Consultations at the level of political advisors are scheduled for Friday, the 22nd of January. At the same time, deputy head of the Russian presidential administration, Dmitry Kozak, told reporters that there is nothing to boast about within the framework of the Normandy Four talks. According to him, Moscow, Kyiv, Berlin and Paris exchanged views on all fundamental issues related to the implementation of the Minsk agreements. Kozak said that they failed to find solutions and they agreed that new fundamental approaches to the formation of a roadmap in the trilateral contact group for a comprehensive settlement of the conflict will be prepared. Meanwhile, Ukrainian social networks are spreading rumors that the main topic of negotiations between Kozak and Yermak in Berlin was not Donbass at all. Allegedly informed sources in the office of the president of Ukraine claim that all that the parties discussed the resumption of the Russian-Ukrainian energy cooperation. In particular, they spoke about the possibility of purchasing gas directly from Russia, which would reduce reduce the gas price for Ukrainian consumers by about 30%. 
again as a reminder the previous meeting of political advisors to the leaders of the Normandy formed countries uh, so Ukraine, France, Germany and Russia was held in Berlin on the 11th of September 2020. The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, Dmitry Kuleba, took part in a video meeting in the format of the trio of associated partners of the EU, along with uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs of Georgia, David Zagaliani, and Minister of Foreign Affairs of Moldova, Aurelio Chokoy. The participants noted the unity of the three EU-associated states in their vision of the strategic future of the Eastern Partnership, and the existence of many areas of common interest in the context of Ukraine's, Georgia's and Moldova's integration into the EU. Uh, Dimitro Kuleba stressed that it is important that the three states speak to the European Union with one voice, which is obviously much stronger than the voice of each one alone. The Eastern Partnership should be a tool that contributes to the realization of the European aspirations of the states um, the associated trio of the EU's most ambitious Eastern partners. The foreign ministers reaffirmed their commitment to work together in the areas of deep and comprehensive free trade areas and sectoral reapproachment with the EU. Kuleba, Zakaryani and Chokoy unanimously stressed the importance of developing a security dimension of cooperation within the Eastern Partnership, given the existing threats and challenges to the sovereignty and territorial integrity of the Eastern Partners. And to give you some background information, the Eastern Partnership is an EU initiative that continues the eastern direction of the European Neighbourhood Policy, which was launched in 2009. And this includes Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Belarus. The decision to hold the sixth summit of the EU's Eastern Partnership Initiative in 2020 was made in June 2020. The summit is to agree on a new package of expected achievements within the framework of the Eastern Partnership in the coming years. In 2020, 16 political prisoners from Crimea were given varying prison sentences, and the highest of was 19 years. 424 people were deprived of the right to a fair trial, and 77 persons were illegally transferred outside the occupied peninsula. Um, I quote, the policy of systematic extension of detention, new arrests and giving political prisoners in Crimea long prison sentences, has remained un unchanged in the recent years. During the period, 16 people were sentenced to terms from three, three, eight to 19 years in prison. 47 people are currently held in custody. And, I mean, some were later released or replaced under house arrest. Um, yeah, that reads the report on the human rights violations in Crimea, published on the website of the NGO Crimean Tatar Research Center. The CTRC manager, Tetyana Podvorinyak, noted that 424 violations of the right to fair trial were recorded in 2020, of which 355 related to representative of the Crimean Tatar people. In 2019, human rights activists recorded 692 such violations, in 2018, 492, 
and in 2017, 515. Uh, Podvorniak stressed that the statistics show that the deliberate detention of more than 100 political prisoners in custody, the misuse of Russian legislation for political purposes, in particular to suppress the non-violent struggle of Crimean Tatars and pro-Ukrainian activists in their protests against the occupation of Crimea. Um, she also noted that 138 violations of the right to the highest attainable standard of physical and mental health were recorded over the past year, 111 of which were in relation to Crimean Tatars. This figure is higher than the data for the same period in 2019, where when 134 cases were recorded. In 2018, 57 cases were recorded, and in 2017, 38. In addition, the CTRC report provides the information on systematic, systemic cases of vandalism, violations of religious right, inadequate conditions in pretrial detention facilities and prisons, violation of the rights of political prisoners, and illegal military exercises in the Russian-occupied Crimea. So again, the list is very long. <laughs> Uh, moreover, uh, lawyer Aider Azamatov stressed that new methods of suppressing peaceful demonstrations, peaceful gatherings of people who s simply want to support those held in uh, pre-trial detention centers and prisons, were recorded last year. As an example, he cited the situation with the detention of a group of Crimean Tatar activists on the Kerch Bridge. So that was it with this week's podcast. Make sure to share your thoughts with us and we would be very happy if you would rate this podcast and write a review. If you want to have more information and read articles on other topics as well, you can visit promoteukraine.org. And if you haven't done so yet, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and so on. You can find us everywhere under the name Promote Ukraine. But for now, I wish you a wonderful start into the week and we'll be back soon with some fresh and new information.